Hello, it's Kerry and Rachel. Rachel, what are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs> Welcome to Dirty Vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world, exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables. 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 Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dirty Vegetables. This episode is going to be all about B12. It's very much a hot topic when it comes to veganism because famously you cannot get B12 from a vegan diet. But before we get into the ins and outs of that and why B12 is so important and where you can find it, we're going to be starting off with our dirty ingredient of the week. And this week it is paprika. So yeah, first of all, I just want to say I love paprika. It's one of my most used spices. I always have it in the in the drawer. It's not one that's at the back that gets used for one or two recipes and never again. I genuinely use it all the time. And my favorite is smoked. I love smoked paprika. And most recently, I enjoyed paprika in goulash in uh, Hungary, in Budapest, their national dish. And it was very nice. It was very, 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 very nice. I enjoyed the paprika-ness of that dish. But to go through the origins of paprika, so the pepper plants from which paprika is derived were originally native to Central and South America. And yeah, the Capiscum anum species are indigenous to Central America and have been in cultivation for centuries. They were introduced to Europe by Christopher Columbus and other explorers during their voyages to the New World in the 15th and 16th centuries. And after its introduction to Europe, the pepper plant was cultivated and adapted to various regions. And it found particular popularity in Hungary and, of course, Spain. But in Hungary, it became a significant part of their culinary tradition. And Hungarian paprika is renowned for its distinctive flavour and vibrant red colour. And it has become synonymous with the spice itself. So today, paprika is produced in different countries around the world, including Spain, Hungary, Turkey and the United States. And the peppers used to make paprika can vary in their heat level and flavour, resulting in different types. So you've got my favourite smoked, but you can also get hot and sweet and mild. And a fun fact, paprika is actually protected by European law and the Spanish production, true Spanish piniton, is produced using traditional techniques and comes from specific areas in Spain as per the denominations, don't know if I'm saying that word right, of origin, DO European Union laws. And nutrition, Kerry. Okay, so nutritionally, uh, paprika has a high source of vitamin A, so... A typical serving of two grams, which is very little, is 21% of your RDI. And it's also moderate in vitamin B6 and vitamin E as well. Um, Taste-wise, paprika is also one of my favourite spices. I just literally like throw it in anything. I always buy smoked. I never buy the normal one, but I feel like I maybe want to get into it. (laughs) I don't even completely know what it tastes like. All I think about is like, is it... Like Lay's paprika or something? Is it Lay's uh, paprika? The crisps oh, or there's Lay's. Um, that's European. We have Walkers. Yeah, but you always get them on holidays, though. You don't get Walkers paprika. That's way yeah, too adventurous. Yeah. But there's Pringles, Pringles paprika. Mm, those, those are, are good. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but food-wise, I throw it in pretty much anything. Is there anything specific you like to use it in? 
Not really. I feel like I use it in everything as well. But um, I went through a phase of making paella a lot, and I feel like it really came through in the flavors in that. But um, in general, I'll kind of sprinkle it on everything. I think it's a really nice garnish if you make a dip as well from scratch, like a hummus or a guacamole mm. or a pesto or anything, really. I think that vibrant red color makes it look very pretty for that final flourish. Yeah, it's good in muhammara, if you've ever had that. It's like a Syrian dip. Mm. It's absolutely delicious. It's use, it uses um, roasted red peppers in it is the main oh. ingredient. And it's got like garlic and lemon and paprika and cumin and stuff in it. It's really, really good. That does sound good. You should try it out. Mm. Just a shout out to anyone who wants to make paella. There's the recipe on loving it vegan is delicious. It uses roasted artichokes which is mm. really, really good. Adds such a good texture in it. And there's a load of paprika in there. And saffron, which is a, a pricey one, mm. but <laughs> worth it. All righty. So moving on to B12. So B12, a.k.a. cobalamin, is an essential water-soluble vitamin. Um, and I'm going to talk about why it's essential and why it's so important in a moment. But just some more facts about B12. It's made by bacteria. And this bacteria can be found in soil. It can be found in bodies of water. And it can be housed in the stomachs of grazing animals, such as cows and sheep. So this is actually the only vitamin produced exclusively by microorganisms, aka bacteria. And plants and animals, including humans, cannot produce B12. Instead, they need to obtain it from their diet or supplementation. So where can we source B12 from our diet would be fish, shellfish, and just a little note that clams, aka small mussels, are actually the number one source of B12 which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a moment. Meat, poultry, eggs, milk. Yeah, these are the primary dietary sources of B12. Thus, vegans must obtain their B12 through supplementation or through eating fortified foods. Things like nutritional yeast and plant milks and fake cheeses and things like this are often fortified with B12, but arguably not quite enough. So you really do need to be thinking about taking a supplement if you're vegan. Just on that, it's also important things like B12, or sorry, things like nutritional yeast. Often you just expect them to have b12 in it but there's quite a lot of sources that actually don't have any b12 or have really low level so if you are buying things like that and expecting to get b12 from it make sure you check the packaging as well absolutely yeah yeah and there's also some trace levels have been found in things like mushrooms and algae but nowhere near potent enough to get enough of your b12 but the question is if animals cannot produce b12 then how is it that this is a source of B12? Um, and that's because cows and ruminants slash grazing animals, they absorb B12 from their stomachs and it's formed here through eating soil, which is attached to grass, which contains the B12 bacteria, the microorganisms, plus and essentially cobalt. And it's the combination of the bacteria and the cobalt which allows the synthesis of B12 in the stomach, which then spreads to the flesh. And thus, if the humans eat this flesh, they are able to consume the B12. Um, this is different to fish in bivalves. So bivalves are things like oysters, clams. These eat or absorb phytoplankton, which takes up bacteria that produces B12. So these phyt phytoplankton um, have been absorbing this 
bacteria which has got the microorganism B12. And then finally, poultry and pork. This is different to ruminant animals, aka animals that eat grass. They may absorb B12 from their intestines, but the amount can be small and unreliable. Otherwise, B12 is obtained from their fortified animal feed. And this is different because they're not eating grass. And then, yeah, algae and mushrooms, the trace levels found in them is thought to be from bacteria, absorption of bacteria, which is found in water or found in soil or even animal waste, which could be in both the water and the soil. And just a quick note, evolutionarily speaking, it was thought that we got a lot of our B12 in the past from um, poor sanitary practices, based Basically, this is before we had chlorinated drinking water. People were drinking from dirty supplies. They were eating unwashed vegetables and they're genuinely just a lot less hygienic. And it's thought that we got a lot of our B12 this way. But this is no longer the case because of the advent of um, sanitization along the food and water production lines, which is a very important thing. And of course, the pros far outweigh the cons. It's um, it stopped a hell of a lot of death and sickness having these standards put into place. And just a note on clams. Uh, clams feels like an American word for me, so I'm going to say mussels. It's found the two foods richest in B12 are clams and cow liver. So I just said I wasn't going to say clams, but I keep saying it. So clams are small mussels. They contain 84 micrograms per 85 grams of B12. And liver contains 70.7 micrograms per 85 grams of B12. So this is a big win for vegans who are considering eating mollusks. Um, please tune into our Austro-Veganism episode for more on this. We talk about it in length. But just to go through a few reasons why vegans may choose to eat um, mollusks, it's just a very quick bite-sized synthesis of Austro-veganism, it's because there are positives of eating mollusks in terms of the environment, because there's no biokill involved, there's no fish meal feed, and the mollusks can filter the water that they're produced in. Um, so they're very good for the environment and they're thought to be non-sentient and they have a very, very high nutritional profile. So they can act as a really nice kind of insurance measure if you're eating an otherwise completely plant-based diet. So yeah, it's interesting that mussels are the highest or most potent form of B12 that you can eat without thinking about supplementation. And yeah, I'll just move on to why is B12 important so I, I, this actually blew my mind a little bit, learning about B12, just how important it is. I don't think I ever really paid it much attention. Did you, Carrie? Did you, you realise how important it was before this episode? I did, actually, because I know people who have been deficient in it. And I think just when I, when I started to go vegan, I looked into it a lot because everyone was talking about B12, B12, and that it's actually very... Um, it's very serious if you're deficient in it. <laughs> a lot can go wrong. Yeah. Are you going to go into it? I'm going to go into it. Yeah. No, I was very ignorant to this. Another thing that I was quite ignorant to. I heard about B12. I just thought it was kind of like a vitamin that you needed to have. You need to have vitamin C. You need to have, to have vitamin K. You need to have vitamin D. You need to have vitamin B12. But B12 is so, so, so important. It is an essential nutrient for brain, nerve, blood, genetics, so i.e. your DNA and RNA production, and metabolic health. And a B12 deficiency is very severe, um, and it can lead to symptoms like fatigue, weakness, anemia, neurological problems, cognitive difficulties, digestive issues, and glossitis, which is inflammation of the tongue. 
So it is an extremely crucial nutrient, so crucial that four Nobel, Pre- Nobel Peace Prizes have been awarded to research related to vitamin B12. And therefore, it is essential that we make sure we obtain it through our diets or through supplementation. It's something that should be on everyone's radar. Um, so the hot topic really is, is it unnatural to be vegan if you have to supplement B12 because you cannot get it from your diet otherwise? Okay, so some I have some thoughts on this one and some points that were brought to my attention from watching various videos. Of course, you can always find our show notes where you can find all of our sources. So vegans have to supplement B12. So some thoughts on this is humans have evolved to adapt their diets over time and have demonstrated the ability to thrive on a variety of dietary sources or dietary choices. We are very adaptable and we can, we have proven to be able to thrive in whatever conditions we're put in and whatever is available within those conditions. And if that means that you have to supplement certain things, is that such a problem is one thought coming up here for me and also fortification and supplementation serve an important role for b12 but also many other minerals and vitamins there's many fortified things that go into things like bread and pasta um, cereals which i think our bodies have probably adapted to rely on quite a lot of course this also tips over into the territory of ultra processed food but yeah just something to think about and due to the increasing demand for sanitization along the food production line it's thought that B12 is low even in meat-based diets and a lot of industrially industrialized meat production facilities supplement the animals feed with B12 because the cows aren't out on pasture, the lambs aren't out on pasture and as we heard already poultry and pigs tend to get it supplemented anyway because they're not coming in contact with the bacteria in the soil as much. So it's, this is not so much the case on of course grass-fed cattle and sheep so this should be the golden standard that you're aiming for if you're eating meat but it is essential for the cobalt to be present in the soil for this B12 synthesis to occur in their stomach which then goes to their flesh which then we can eat and there has been a recent Scottish report which showed that there could be alarmingly diminished rates of cobalt in certain fields in the UK specifically Scotland and this makes me think about things like topsoil corrosion and bleaching of the soils going into the riverways because of a lack of uh, mixed vegetation because of monocrop fields and things like this could lead to these like diminished rates of cobalt in the fields just a note on that so i've i sort of looked into this because i was thinking okay are these animals being supplemented anyway and i know there was a video by earthling ed which you sent to me about how cows are being supplemented anyway so if vegans are taking supplements what's the problem because people here eating meat are therefore getting their sub getting it from a supplement actually anyway basically but i was looking into this and generally they will supplement with cobalt so that they can make the b12 in their stomach so generally they will supplement with cobalt before they supplement with b12 because this is the basically Cobalt is the mineral that will help them create B12 within their, their rumen, which is essentially the first stomach of a cow. But to supplement with this, so it's not like, it doesn't seem like a chemical supplement to me. It's basically supplemented by them putting a salt block in the soil. 
Now I'm no I'm no farmer, but this is what I've I've come across, and you can actually buy them on like Amazon. But it's essentially a salt block which contains literally sea salt and trace minerals. So I wouldn't say that's necessarily synthetic. And I mean, I've always thought I've thought for years that to get B12 from the soil, to get B B12 actually comes from the soil, because vegans say that it's coming from a vegan source anyway so they would say technically b12 is vegan but the cow is just eating it but i think this is actually incorrect and you'd said before about the bacteria being in the soil and i think that's they they need to eat the bacteria to make the b12 which includes cobalt yeah so they are actually yeah so it's actually is the cow that is making it they're not getting it from the soil um so cobalt is like you've said cobalt is the real issue at the minute but generally calves will get the b12 naturally from the cow so when they're drinking the milk so unless the cow is de- has a deficiency then they may provide a b12 injection but i couldn't really find how many cows are being supplemented with b12 i don't know if you came across that when you were researching it did you i couldn't find any figures on that so I'm not completely sure. This is the part that I struggle to wrap my head around and this is a, a point that Dr Michael Clapper mentioned in a video he's a nutritionalist um, and he did a video on B12 and he said that um, getting your B12 from animal products is treating the animal like a supplement as the animal itself does not formulate the B12 they must obtain it from contact with the microorganisms that produce the B12 so the most important thing are that these microorganisms are present and therefore the animal needs to eat the microorganisms in order to make B12 so why not we gain contact with these microorganisms but just in a tablet form rather than it passing through the animal the crucial thing here is the microorganisms so that's something that makes me feel like it doesn't seem like such a a backwards logic it's like this is the microorganism this is b12 but to me that seems like a natural process that a cow is eating the microorganism because i think like even with humans they're bound to eat things that'll create other things like for example like when we eat b12 it actually, it has to attach to a protein called an intrinsic factor so that we can absorb it in our large intestine. So we can't really absorb it without the intrinsic factor. So that's kind of saying the same thing, like, okay, cows need this other thing to create the B12, but it's coming from the ground. But isn't everything sort of coming from another source that we need to create it within our body? Exactly, but that source could be uh, a tablet form. If they've managed to work out what this microorganism is and then synthesize it into a, a tablet, then we can then go through that process in our body and have our intestines. And... Right. But, but can we synth- But can humans synthesize it the way a cow could synthesize it? Because I don't think humans can actually create it out of those ingredients, if you know what I mean. I will different animals produce it in different Mm. ways because fish and bivalves are getting it from phytoplankton and um pigs and poultry are getting fortified foods and then animal like eat grass eating animals can then go through this process with the cobalt so there's different ways that we can get it into the body it's just 
which way you choose I guess I, I, it's kind of like using the the meat it's like not part of the of the biological makeup of the animal so to speak the 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 b12 isn't there they must obtain it from their diet whereas calcium will always be present in the bones it's part of the building blocks of bones and things like iron is always going to be present in flesh because iron is what blood is made out of so it's always going to be in the flesh b12 is a external microorganism that they must consume in order to get it into their body and yes admittedly you can eat it from you can get it from eating meat 100 percent. that's probably what humans have done for millennia plus maybe drinking dirty water and everything else um that is a way we can consume it but for me it, it feels like it's not the the only way because the most important thing is, is it's the microorganism it's the only vitamin that is formed from a microorganism and that we just need to find the way to get that into our our bodies and then it's taking into consideration the fact that maybe cobalt levels are getting diminished in the soils so that the cows are having to get supplemented or the soil is going to is having to get treated in some way or another with this salt block to get cobalt into the soil and we're having to as in order for the grass-fed cows to make the b12 and anything that's raised in a factory setting is getting supplemented anyway it is kind of like you would be a little bit it's fair to say that you could be a little bit concerned about how potent the meat that you're going to be consuming is with b12 anyway and now that i've learned that b12 is so important it's such an essential nutrient i feel like it's something that most dietitians would recommend everyone to consider taking to make sure they're getting enough because deficiency is so severe and now it's kind of like can we definitely rely on getting it from a meat source of course, if you go to like an inc- a really reputable farm, this could be a totally different story. It's kind of avoiding the factory farm situation is really what you should be thinking about because if it's a beautiful family-run farm, they test the levels of minerals in their soil, it's a mixed pasture, like whatever it's called, where there's loads of different things growing at the same time, I can't remember the name, um, sort of land and it's super organic and then the like then you're going to be getting incredible nutrients from that meat that's very different to eating it from a factory farm so it's just you know it's, it's taking all of this into into consideration I think that like a lot of it comes back to that excessive consumption by humans in general so that we've just taken it to such an extreme whereas back in the day okay even if they were getting it from meat you know actually killing the animals was on such a small scale and it was localized and it was within the community and you know you knew exactly what you were getting from the animal whether that's meat eggs milk because you were the one raising them you were the one maybe injecting them with b12 (laughs) so you knew exactly what was going on um i think that's a big problem with all of it in general and why it gets so confusing and so hard to hard to think of what is natural because it at the minute in the world a lot of things just generally don't feel natural (laughs) at all but um but we're not in harmony with nature mm, and I think that's sort of what it for me it feels like getting back to because sometimes I do feel like I don't want to supplement because that feels like so far removed from something normal to do just in general not b12 I mean just sort of anything Um, But moving on to supplementing and B12 specifically, 
So there's quite a few factors that put you in a higher risk of not getting enough vitamin B12 from your diet. So like we were saying, following a vegetarian or vegan diet because they're not naturally present. Of course, if you are supplementing and you are taking fortified foods, you know, you, you can absolutely live health with a healthy level of B12 if you're doing those things. Um, also, as soon as you get to 50 years old, it gets a lot harder to absorb the B12. And there's certain disorders like Crohn's and celiac, which make it harder to absorb the um absorb the b12 like i was saying before that intrinsic factor which is a protein in your stomach that you need basically attaches to the b12 and then allows you to like transports it and allows you to absorb it and with diseases like crohn's diseases of diseases of the gut um that becomes a little bit more difficult also if you've had surgery as well or you're on certain medications um and also if you drink a lot of alcohol as well it can make it more difficult to absorb absolutely and and just to note on the supplementation in general um i i feel like it it isn't natural um in terms of you can't find like b12 tablets growing on trees or whatever but i do feel like there are many things that we do now as a civilization which are arguably not natural but they serve a really important um, purpose in society um, and this is kind of an assumption and this is something that Earthling Ed says in his video again it's in the show notes but you'll find it on YouTube it's an it's maybe a false assumption to think that natural means better and that unnatural means worse that's not necessarily always the case you could also argue that doing chemotherapy is not natural you're essentially putting poison into your body to try and fight off cancer and there's many forms of modern medicine that aren't natural so taking supplements which are so important to ensure you're getting your b12 levels um yeah okay maybe it's not natural but does that mean that it's bad it, for me it doesn't feel like it is bad yeah i mean our our whole society in general is not natural do you know what i mean but i don't know i guess it depends on the person and what they feel feels right to do <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just generally, I don't know. It feels, I just don't like taking supplements in general. Like I go in and out of having boxes of them and I'll take them every day for like six months. And I'll be like, why, what is encasing these supplements? That I, that's what I always think. There's always like cake and agents and random stuff in this little pill. And it's like the tiniest, tiniest micrograms of the supplement encased in loads of other stuff. I don't know. I just, I think recently I'm thinking a lot about like, what, what am I being drawn to? I'm trying to look less at what everyone's talking about and telling me to do all the time. I'm being like, okay, what does, what feels actually right here? And maybe it's not natural in the overall sense of the world being natural, but it's like, what feels right for me to be doing? Because I think you have this gut feeling about things. Like, whether you should be eating something or whether you shouldn't be or whether you should be doing something and I guess that's sort of a personal natural for me if that makes sense um but just moving on moving back to b12 so if we're talking about which form of b12 is most most easily absorbed um Finding the answer to this online is quite difficult because there's quite a few different sources saying contrasting things. Like, for example, if you look up Healthline, which is a really popular health website in the UK, um, it maps out 
different studies. So it basically says that methylcobalamin, which is a natural form, natural, <laughs> there's that word again. That's what they say on the website. Uh, through meat, eggs, milk absorbs about 44%. Um, and then cyanocobalamin, which is a synthetic form, which is added to supplements, which is actually made with, with cyanide, but it's not <laughs> poisonous, like you would think. That absorbs 49%. So that would say that the synthetic form is actually absorbs better. But then another study stated that three times more of this cyanocobalamin, the synthetic type was excreted through urine, which suggests the opposite. Um, and there's other studies on like PubMed that compare the types of B12 and the efficacy of how they're assimilated. And they say generally B12 supplements will have the same effect, but will be affected again by age and genetics. But then conversely, Forks Over Knives, which is a popular vegan website and film actually state that synthetic crystalline form is better absorbed than animal forms, which they, I assume they mean cyanocobalamin, but there's not, they don't actually use any sources to say where this has come from. Basically, all that rounded up is that there needs to be more research conducted in this because there doesn't seem to be a definitive answer. There's different research sort of saying slightly different things. But I think overall, all forms can replete B12. So if you're low on B12 and you're taking, either you're taking it via your diet through animal forms or you're just taking it via supplement, there's not really a big difference here. So there's no wrong way of repleting your B12 if you are deficient. Yeah, so just another note on the efficacy of supplements. So yeah, I, I consumed or I watched some videos from Dr. Gregor. He does um, the website nutritionfacts.org and of course uh, has written the book that we've mentioned in numerous times on this podcast, How Not to Die. And yeah, he starts off by talking about oral supplementation of B12 and how it has been a very effective treatment strategy for B12 deficiencies um, even ones as severe as pernicious anemia a form of anemia and this has been shown in a range of groups of people including the elderly young pregnant adults and children in all of these groups of people it's found that the absorption through oral supplementation was extremely effective at reversing their deficiency and even more so or just as effective as intramuscular injections um, and this is so much the case that a scientific journal was published called Medicine's Best Kept Secret. And it was all about the efficacy of oral supplementation of vitamin B12. And he does explore whether methylcobalamin or cyancobalamin, very hard things to say, um, which one is more effective. You can buy both forms as supplements. Um, and it's found that methyl is, I'm going to say methyl from now on, is more expensive. So it's assumed that it's better. But overall, from a literature review that um, Greg, Dr. Gregor conducted, it seemed that cyan was has been shown um, in numerous studies to come up tops in terms of efficacy and stability, especially so when consumed as a tubal or liquid dose, as the interaction interaction with the binding proteins in your saliva improves absorption. And when people chewed B12 tablets compared to just swallowing, they had a 10 times better absorption of the B12 into their bodies. And the methyl form is less stable and prone to photodecomposition. Um, so this is when it breaks down through c contact with light, sunlight. So they need to take higher. So in general, if you're taking this form of B12, you need to take higher doses to ensure you're getting enough. And this has um, 
And this has even been shown, and it's even been shown that supplementation of 2,000 micrograms of methylcobalamin um, still leads to deficiency levels of B12 in one in three tested vegans. So overall, Dr. Gregor is encouraging people to take the cyan cobalamin, very hard to say, form in a liquid form. He even encourages people to use B12 infused toothpaste because it's this interaction with our saliva which is so important. And a really important thing, and this was an eye-opener for me, is do not take it as a multivitamin. Um, The other minerals and um, minerals and vitamins in the multivitamin tablet can actually be found to have counterproductive um, effects on the B12 and not only, and actually hinder our absorption of B12 and lead to deficiency, which is crazy. So don't rely on it from a multivitamin. Take it in a uh, single supplement. And what is the recommended dose of cyan cobalamin? The recommended daily intake for for this is for people over 14 is 2.4 micrograms per day. Um, so if you want to avoid supplements, uh, and you just want to eat it if you're vegan through fortified foods. Um, like I said before, we can you can have nutritional yeast, which can be really high in B12. But again, look at the brand. Some don't actually contain any. Um, so if you're if you don't want to take any supplements at all, you can take, for example, nutritional yeast. But you'd have to take it with every meal and certain nutritional yeast, dependent on the amount. So like Rich was saying, two point four micrograms. If you looked at the back of the packet, you can see how much like a tablespoon or a teaspoon could provide you. So you would maybe need to take a teaspoon with each meal or a tablespoon. Um, And luckily, nutritional yeast is delicious. (laughs) It's really nice. We just mix it through with some pasta and garlic and some chili. It's just like delicious. You don't even need any sauce, just some um, just some extra virgin olive oil on top. So there's also a natural way to get it, people would say, is spirulina. But actually looking into this, it it says that often spirulina will say that it contains natural B12, but it actually doesn't contain B12, but actually can block absorption um, due to other things that are within the spirulina. So that will not get you your your daily intake of b12 unfortunately and of course there are the fortified cereals milks you'll see them on a lot of vegan products you'll see it's saying fortified with b12 which is a is a good way to get it but again like we were talking about in our in episode two which was about ultra processed foods if you want to listen to that we do talk about sort of the problems with ultra processed foods in general. And unfortunately, B12 is added to a lot of ultra processed foods because they're easily fortified with things like B12. So it does depend what's most important to you and which way you want to get it. It might just be easier just taking a supplement and not having to rely on things like cereals and milks anyway. Overall, what do we think? How does B12 play into the equation with our food choices? So I can start us off with this. Um, for me, taking a B12 supplement isn't a game changer. It doesn't make me think that I should therefore not be vegan or primarily plant-based. Um, it, it feels like, especially as I've learned how 
easily and well absorbed into the body the liquid forms of the b12 supplement are and because i've learned how dangerous it is to not have b12 in your body i feel like it's something that just gives me almost a bit of peace of mind and i don't mind taking it at all we have one from a, a company called vivo life they do protein powders as well which i highly recommend and um it tastes delicious it's just like a little dropper on the tongue in the morning um it's part of my morning routine but having said that, I feel like Austro-veganism is the kind of almost like, ah, like holy solution to all of this because it's mollusks, um, as I mentioned before, aka clams, they p- contain the highest rates of B12 naturally. So if you don't want to be supplementing and you want to make sure you're getting all your, ni- your dietary needs met, then I do believe that vegans can consume muscles and therefore call themselves austro vegans if they choose um and that can make sure you're getting your b12 plus they contain so many other things that are so good for you it's really mind-blowing again listen to our austro veganism episode for more on that so for me i feel like now that i've started eating muscles sometimes along with my primarily plant-based diet and thinking about supplementation it feels like that's the way to go for me um and yeah, to be honest, I don't have many qualms with myself consuming the occasional egg. When doing van life, we often park literally on farms and there will be people that will have chickens living what looks like their best life, running around, um, laying eggs wherever they want. And I can buy these eggs from the people that own the campsites on the farms and they eating those occasionally, it doesn't feel that unethical. And again, it makes me feel like I'm getting my B12 and I'm getting my folate acid, which is so important. But one thing to take into consideration, and this was mentioned in a plant-based news video recently, a lot of people say this, that they're just going to have their own chickens in their garden. It's something that I aspire to do as well. But it is inevitable and unavoidable that the hens that you buy to lay the eggs that you want to eat are still going to have been had like hormonal manipulation so that they lay more eggs. And their male chicks that might have been born in the process of getting these female chicks will have been killed at birth. So there's still a lot of harm involved. And But then it comes back to the point of, can you avoid all harm? Can you? I don't know. So these are my final thoughts on the whole thing. What about you, Kerry? Well, so I I do think the B whole B12 thing is something that makes me question or not whether I should be completely vegan. And I don't want to say, I don't like the word should, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, whatever. But for me personally, it, I do think you should be able to get everything from your diet. Um, and because I'm so aware of like ultra processed foods at the minute, it's not like I've cut them out completely at all, but like, I'm, because I'm very aware of it, I am thinking about these things a lot. Um, and I just, like I said before, I just generally, like, I've just don't like taking supplements and I've read recently, and this is something I'd like to delve into more about how supplements are only beneficial for you if you are actually deficient in the nutrient or the mineral um if you're deficient in it rather than just taking them every day for example like a vitamin c that people take every day even though they're not deficient in it it can actually cause more harm than good but i think like there's absolutely no problem with taking supplements if you're not bothered about it it's no big deal especially since vegetarians and meat eaters alike are both deficient in b12 it's not like it's only vegans and 
I do think it's something that, um, you know, meat eaters would say to vegans a lot, like, what about B12? But they might be deficient as well. So I think it's kind of an unfair argument, as lo- along with loads of other nutrients as well. Like, we really hone in on this B12, but so many people are deficient in so many things because a lot of people just aren't eating enough fruit and veg full stop um, or healthy, like nuts and fats and things like that. Um so yeah, our our diet is generally deficient in things through also over-processing of foods and again, extreme factory farming where animals aren't looked after well enough for them to even have the nutrients. But I also think like when we are looking into things like this, like B12 or um, things that are specifically vegan, that we do look at both sides of the coin and not just blindly believe vegan websites, which I've been very guilty of, or believe in vegan influencers just exactly what they say I think it's really important just look at all the research yourself again do what's natural for you I think like what feels right for you to be doing is it does it feel right for you to supplement with b12 do it does it feel not right don't do it you know it's very much a personal thing I think um and yeah just worry about your own diet worry about your own supplementation as long as you feel happy that everything's right within your body then what's the harm everyone wins we can have a B12 party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just a teeny tiny final thought that I had there. It's kind of like the power of belief as well. Like if you're taking a supplement and you're like, this isn't going to do anything or this is going to be doing more harm than good, then it will have that effect because of the placebo effect. Like you've you've got to have the right mindset and believe that you're doing it for good. Otherwise, don't bother. So if supplements feel icky, then there's literally no point taking them. Some could argue I'm not a medical expert. <laughs> no, just a note on this: neither Rachel nor I are medical experts. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening. We'd love to know what you think. How does B12 play into the equation with your food choices? Is it a bit of a deal breaker if you're considering being vegan or not? If you've been a vegan for a long time, do you supplement religiously? Let us know what you think. Um, you can send us a message on Instagram. You can find us at Dirty Vegetables. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Have a happy B12. <laughs> Have a happy B12 full day. Bye bye.